if you speak publicly, one of the things that you want to do is you want to create tension because the heart and the mind, when there is tension, lean in for a resolution of the tension. And so if you're here every week, you know that I I attempt to do that at the beginning of the message. But I'm just going to say one word to you to tell you the tension that we're going to work to resolve this morning. And you're going to go, oh, I don't know if I picked a good Sunday to be here or a bad Sunday. We're going to talk about the demonic today. Let me frame that for you. What I mean is, have you ever wondered why it is that some people struggle with things and they just never seem to get better? Have you had that wondered that about yourself or about somebody else and you've thought, is there more to the story that I'm just missing? I want to try and paint for you the picture that the scriptures paint, that there actually is a spiritual world around us and that Jesus actually came to do something about the struggles that you and I face. We're going to talk about that this morning. Are you good with that? <laughs> if you're online, no one said a word. <laughs> just, it was just stunning. Well, I want to give you, before we jump into the, the message today, the text we're going to read, I'd like to talk to you just for a second about the next few weeks, just kind of what you can expect uh, around here, what's going to happen, and you can get your heart and mind around all of those things. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to be concluding this series that we've been in, and uh, I've been invited to be a part of a leadership fellowship that lasts for several months, and there's an away thing that happens next week, and so I'll be away for that. It's a really interesting group of people. I'm the only pastor in the room. It's Christian leaders uh, working to get better and, and express leadership in our day and time, and so I'm, I'm really excited about that. Please pray for me next weekend. But... I'm super excited because some of you know Sam McVeigh, who was here a few, maybe sometime in the middle of the summer. He's going to be back here, and you, I promise, do not want to miss Sam. He's a good friend, loves the church in Wichita. He's a friend to me. I want you to hear him. We're going to close the series out and take communion together, so don't miss that. Then we're going to jump right into three weeks in a row, uh, a, a series about the vision of our church. The first Sunday after the service, there'll be our regular all-church meeting. If you've been around, you know what that is. You'll get to see the budget. We'll talk about all those things during the service. The second Sunday of that series is Baptism Sunday. We're going to baptize some people and hear their stories. Favorite Sunday of the year, weep like a baby to hear the stories about how God is at work in people's lives, and then we'll conclude the series then. Then uh, we're going to do a short series on the cross because we're going through the Gospel of Luke. Um, the cro- well, I'm calling it the cross at Christmas because Christmas means something because of the cross. And so we're going to talk about that for a few weeks. Then we'll be right into faith promise when we invest heavily in what God's doing around the world. We have some fantastic speakers who are going to be here, missionaries who are going to be here for that. You won't want to miss that. And then we'll be right into the Christmas season and we'll be at Christmas Eve. Now Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, December the 24th. So we're going to have our regular 11 a.m. service and then an identical service at 4 p.m. that day. So if you think it's not church, if you don't come on Sunday morning, come at 11. Uh, If you think, man, if I could go somewhere and I've got little ones and they can be in their pajamas and then I can put them to bed, come to the 4 o'clock. But this is a powerful time for you to invite someone. I promise you, you have friends who have you just invited them and said, my church has a Christmas Eve service it's great. We sing carols. We light candles. It's just a beautiful, moving, simple service. You could invite somebody, they would join you. I promise. 
11 a.m., 4 p.m. And then we're going to be into the new year. We're going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting again, all of that. Got all that? Test later on all those things. Okay. I want to invite you to stand with me as we read the scriptures together as we do each week. I'll be reading aloud. You can follow along as we do that. We're in the Gospel of Luke all year. Luke chapter 11, a scene from the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. Well, we're in this series, and we're talking about uh, resistance, the things that fight you. And so what I've been encouraging you to do over the course of this series is figure out the things that you are fighting against and fight them. What we've been saying in the series is that our starting point for the fight that you and I have in life is actually whatever it is that Jesus fights. So if Jesus fights it and you're a follower of Jesus, that means you will have to as well. And so here in this passage, Jesus fights the demonic. I want to talk to you about this today under three headings. Our struggle to understand the struggle, Jesus, the exorcist, and then give you an invitation and a challenge. What's our struggle to understand the struggle? Really interesting the way uh, Luke describes this. He just kind of casually says that Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. The way it reads is Luke is almost saying like, and Jesus had fish for lunch. It's just this casual thing, like it's an ordinary thing that just happens in Jesus. It's Tuesday for Jesus. Oh yeah, that's when I drive out the demons. We hear that, and and very honestly, it's a struggle for us because uh, we struggle to understand that struggle. I mean, plain plain as day to Jesus, it's absolutely a part of his ministry. And Jesus, even here, and we'll talk about it in a minute, says that we're actually to do the exact same thing. But we Americans, we, we struggle with this. Now, if I were giving this message in Africa, this would be a different message. In Africa, the question is not, does God exist Is there a spiritual world that is around us that we need to pay attention? That's not the question. I'm not worried about answering that question. The question they ask is, wait a second. Can Jesus conquer the spirits that are tormenting my family? I want to know the answer to that question. But here, we kind of look at that and we go, ah, I I don't know. And I think there are at least two reasons that we struggle with this. Number one, I'm going to call it a mind struggle, just the way we think about this. You have, for lack of a better word, you have an operating system for your mind, and it tells you what to accept. It tells you 
what to reject, and it does it without you realizing it because that's how an operating system works. It, it runs in the background. Leslie Newbegin, who was a missionary for many years in India and then in the UK, he said this is, he calls it a, a plausibility structure. He said, we all have in our minds, back behind the curtain that operates how we think and act in the world, this plausibility structure where we decide what it is that we believe is plausible or acceptable, and we, we accept it without actually realizing that it's how we operate. And so there, this is kind of characterized for us in the West by three mindsets that we kind of all just accept. The first is, I'd call it materialism, and, and materialism is the idea that the material that you see is all that there is. There isn't something outside of what you can see, touch, taste, and feel. In fact, the data that you receive from your senses tells you what's real and what's not real. And so if that's all it is, if there's no more than this, then how can there be more than this? Are you following me? So now, if you, if you buy that all the way, then you have, you have some struggles because you have a tough time explaining things like, well, how do you explain love and consciousness? It's difficult. Another one of the mindsets that we share together is the, the idea of, some call it rationalism, that the idea that only what comes to you via your reason is acceptable. And so you, you hear something like, demons? What? And it just does not compute. It doesn't seem reasonable to you. Or, uh, again, this is the water that we all swim in, you could call it individualism or self-reliance. We believe that I, as an individual, I am sovereign over my life. Do you remember the poem that you learned in high school English? If you haven't made it to high school, you will learn it. You know, I'm the captain of my fate. Do you remember that poem? So if I am the master of my fate, how could there be something, and I am fully in control of what happens to me and where I go, and is just all dependent on my choices and decisions. How could there be forces outside of me? And the struggle with that is it keeps you in the small bubble of you. And so if that's the operating system, and I think that's a fair assessment of the Western world. When you run demons through that operating system, the result that you get back is invalid, not real. And so together, this, this operating system prevents us from believing there could be anything that's outside of this framework. So there's a mind struggle. Second is what I would call an, an experience struggle. There are a standard list of why we believe people struggle. In other words, reasons that we say explain why we struggle in life. I don't know what is on your list. It might be things like childhood trauma. That is big today. It might be environmental factors. Maybe you were exposed to Roundup and you can jump into the lawsuit, right? Maybe it's bad decisions or that the world is unfair or that there are terrible people. I don't know what's on your list, but it's probably something like that. And when you read those things and you go, oh, okay, okay, I see. They went through this or this happened to them. And those are acceptable. You might not like them, but you might wish that they were different, but you accept them as valid sources of the resistance that you and I face. But the question I would then ask and add to that is, but would you then add evil to that list? Now, most of us would say, okay, well, yeah, as an idea, 
probably we would say, you know, there are definitely evil acts of people. And, and the way that you handle evil acts of people are you stamp them out through violence or through war. It's like we're going to send the Navy SEALs to take care of the evil. I was listening to a presidential debate. This was, I think, when Obama was running very for the first time. I just, it sticks out to me. And, and he was Senator John McCain. And they were discussing this very top. There, is there evil in the world? And I just remember very vividly John McCain's uh, his response to it. He said, yes, there is. And what we need to do is we need to stamp it out by killing it. That's the answer. Evil's there. Yes, it's a thing. We're going to kill it with violence. Or maybe you say, well, yeah, okay, evil's there. Or you're going to kind of go the Oprah route and say, you know, when we know better, we do better. And so what we need to do is we need to educate people. But here's, here's where most Western people struggle with understanding the struggle. We say, yes, idea, evil is an idea. It's a terrible idea, and some people engage in it. But we're not really certain we would ever say that it's an entity. Are you with me? Now, you come to the biblical narrative, and you come to the ministry of Jesus, and what you find out is that absolutely it's a legitimate source of the struggle that you face in life. There is a force aligned against you. And if you are able somehow to conquer all the things that you say are on your list, but you got over all of them, you know, you healed the childhood trauma and you won a million dollars in the suit against Roundup and you, you, you got away from the bad people. If you were able to do all of that and you still felt that there was a resistance, like there was some power behind it, the ministry of Jesus... And the message of Jesus would say, well, that's because there is. That's why you feel that. Now, again, we, in popular imagination, we believe this uh, completely. Just look at any of the movies. Um, there was a movie that came out. I don't say that I recommend it because it's based on the life of a real person called The Pope's Exorcist. Um, um, who's, who's the air actor there? Russell Crowe, fantastic accent. Uh, movie, not so great. But he's portraying the life of a real priest who was the Pope's exorcist, Father Gabriel Amorth. And, and, and in, but in pop, this is what I'm trying to say. In popular imagination, we're like, well, yeah, we don't really believe it, but is there? We, we do accept in our plausibility structure, we do accept people's personal experience, though. Now, a number of weeks ago, I think it was back in the spring, we were talking about this because we we're coming through, you can't read the Gospels without reason, uh, coming into Jesus' encounter with demonic forces. And I, if you were here, I told you a story about an encounter I had with a guy who came into our church. And to this day, I have no other language for it. I'm, I'm, I've got a decent education. I don't know everything, but I, I have no other way of categorizing what I saw, experienced, other than a demonic possession. I, I don't have any other... There's no other category I could come up with to make sense of it. And if you're around people long enough and you, you t talk about this at lunch today, I promise you, you're going to hear some stories and you're going to go, oh, wow, I didn't know. I want to tell you a story I heard uh, because this frames it and then we're going to talk about what Jesus does about it. But I heard it back in the spring. I was at a conference and uh, there was a pastor and author by the name of John Mark Comer. Some of you have read some of his books. Great pastor. Now you've got to understand where he's coming from. There are, there are, if you've not, if you're new to faith, if you're new to the church, you may not know there are different kind of corners of Christianity and they express their faith in Jesus slightly different. There are some corners that are a little more reserved, uh, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Lutheran, just kind of 
they tuck it all in, you know? It's, it's, there's a mental thing that goes on, and it just it's a little more buttoned up. There are other corners of Christianity where it's like kind of wild. It's like the Wild West, you know? It's, if you have any friends who are Pentecostal or charismatic, uh, it's just a little more like they kind of, if you go to one of their services, it's like you're swinging from the chandeliers. Like, and, and Nazarenes, we're kind of in the middle, right? We, we were like, well, yes, it's about the mind, but we need the heart. And, and so we kind of, I did, where he lands on all of that, because see, if you're listening, if I was a Pentecostal pastor and this was a charismatic church, you'd all be like, oh, come on, the devil, woo, you'd be, you'd be doing that. Uh, but we're kind of vanilla, like, like John Mark Comer, just, just vanilla. That's what I'm trying to explain to you. You need to understand. I'm, I'm trying to explain the context because when you hear the story, you're going to go, what? And he's at this conference, and he's telling this story about his wife. And he said that his wife had this, this degenerative condition that affected her nervous system. And for almost the entirety of their marriage, for about 15 or so years, she had this condition, and it just got worse. It would make her face spasm, and he said after about 10 years, it was so bad, they were planning on her funeral. They were thinking seriously, like, is she going to make it? He was thinking, how am I going to pastor? They had little kids. How am I going to be a pastor and a single dad? How am I going to make this work? They had some friends that they knew in Africa, and remember what I told you about Africa? They would ask a different question, and, and some of these Africans we're just talking to them one day, and they said, are there any generational curses in her family line? And his response was, well, on Ancestry.com, was that a drop-down on the menu? I don't, I don't remember seeing that. I don't, I, I don't think so. And he said, time went on, and this, this condition just keeps getting worse and worse, and then it's an aunt who comes, because it's always an aunt in any family that tells this kind of story, and this aunt says, well, did you know? That your great-grandfather, because his wife is of Mexican descent, was, uh, had an affair with a Cuban diplomat. And that Cuban diplomat, the, the, his wife, didn't know about the affair, found out about it, and went to a, basically a witch doctor of sorts and had a curse put on that woman, her great-grandmother, and her family line that all of the firstborn women would suffer and be cursed. Now, they didn't know what to do with this. They're like, what? It was like new information. Like, I, I wouldn't know what to do if someone said that about my family. I'm going to go, what? And so they're kind of deer in the headlights. And, and then they, found, they look back, and sure enough, four generations back, the firstborn daughter one lived until she was nine. Another had a hundred plus surgeries. Another had another condition. And then here was John Mark Comer's wife. So he said he called up the professor of Fuller Theological Seminary, the professor of the theology department, <laughs> and said, uh, is this a thing? And he said, yeah, it is, and you need to be prepared for it. And he, he gave them the name of a person who works with these kinds of things. And they went to see this person. He said it was very calm. Uh, there was nothing dramatic or crazy. There was no wild and crazy things that were said or done. He said, but as, as soon as his wife, his, her face hadn't been doing the spasm that much, but as soon as she crossed the threshold of the door, he said her face just started to spasm like crazy. 
wouldn't stop. I mean, just went, and it's just like she had almost no control of her features. And this person prayed for them, prayed for the healing of this generational curse, prayed for the power of Jesus to be on this woman and to set her free like Jesus does with people who are bound up by something they can't control. And he said it was like an instant. Her face just went perfectly calm. And he said this was in, and he heard this story in the spring. He said this was in October of 2020, and she has not had a single problem since. Now, why, why, am, I, why am I telling you that? I'm, I'm trying to open your Western mind to the fact that there actually is a spiritual world. And what Jesus does is Jesus comes to that world and he is the, he is the exorcist in that world. Jesus the exorcist. There's this beautiful phrase. I, I, as I'm, you're preparing a message, you read what are called commentaries and they're usually pretty dry. You don't usually come across. They give you kind of the contextual background and the textual background, the original languages. And, and it's not often that I come across beautiful language because that's not what they're for. They're kind of technical and but I came across a phrase in one of the commentators this week that I thought the phrase was so beautiful that I wanted to introduce it to you. And he said, here's what Jesus is doing. He said, Jesus was exercising his ministry of release. If you've been with us, you know that earlier in the spring we talked about the mission of Jesus from Luke chapter 4. We'll put it on the screen for you where Jesus reaches back to the prophet Isaiah and says that he came to fulfill this. I'm going to read it for you. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Then, did, you, did you miss this phrase when we first went through it? To set the oppressed free. In other words, Jesus has a ministry of release, meaning Jesus releases people from what binds them. They were losing the fight or they had given up and then Jesus shows up and Jesus releases them. I've got a pastoral question for you at this moment right here. Have you ever been there in a place where you felt like you were losing the fight and you had no idea how to make it. Have you ever been there? A friend of ours was a police officer, made his way into the Secret Service, and he was telling me about the training in the Secret Service. He says one of the things that they do is before you're ready for it, before you're trained, they, put you, they throw you into a dark room where you can't see anything, and other people come and try to beat you up, and you have to fight them off. And you always lose. That's a little bit about what's happening right here is you feel like you're losing the fight. How do you feel when you're shoved into that dark room and people are beating you and you have no idea what to do? What do you feel like? You feel trapped. You feel oppressed. And so here's Jesus offering his ministry of release. Now, I want you to, whenever this happens in the ministry of Jesus, it always follows a pattern. Jesus releases the person, he restores them, and then the response from everyone around is a wow. Jesus releases the person from the spirit or force that is against them, he restores them to the human family, and then there's this wow from the crowd. But right here, on this occasion, the wow is questioned, and the people question Jesus, and they say, they're asking the question you ask from a Western, you and I ask from a Western 
context, but just slightly different. They're asking, is this really happening? And then they accuse Jesus and they say, well, Jesus, I'll tell you how, why this is happening. You're doing this by Satan. The word's very interesting that when Luke uses to describe what Jesus does with the demon. It's a word in it. It simply means to throw out. It's translated here, drive out, but just to throw out. It's like what you do on garbage day with the sack of trash. Do you know what I'm talking about? We have the can when my sons put it where they're supposed to put it. They, they bring it in and they put it and they open the lid so we can just open the garage door and then throw it out, right? And it's this very satisfying thing if you just wrap it up and ha, boom. Anyone else like that, little OCD like me? It's like that. It's like that's the image. Jesus just tosses it out because that's what Jesus does. This, in other words, Mark, uh, Luke is saying, don't miss, this is the ministry of Jesus is to throw out the things that are against you. His business is he overturns what overturns people. He defeats what defeats people. He beats what beats people. Jesus is the thrower-outer. Think about it like this. I know maybe you don't frequent bars, but if you go to a bar, there's a bouncer. Jesus is like the bouncer at the door of your heart. You didn't ever think you'd hear that, phrase, that analogy in a Nazarene church, did you, right? He is the bouncer at the door of your heart. I got to ask you, do you have anyone like this in your life? It's why you need Jesus. This man is mute, meaning he's deaf and dumb, and Jesus locates the source. He, he doesn't say, well, it was his mama's fault. Or it was the environment. He got too much roundup. It's not his genetics. No, it was a demon. Now, again, Jesus doesn't do this every time. He doesn't say that every sickness is caused by a demon, but it is this time. And Jesus takes the man off mute. And he throws the demon out. And then they question him. They're like, well, you do this. I'll tell you how you're doing this. You're doing this by Satan, by the prince. Beelzebul was a name for the prince of demons. So they're saying by Satan. I want you to notice... Jesus' response to their questions because it's actually an insight in the demonic. And what Jesus does right here is he quotes Abraham Lincoln. I bet you didn't know that. <laughs> any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and any house divided against itself will fall. I've, have you ever seen that on the internet when someone's like, I can't believe that brilliant quote by Abraham Lincoln. And you're like, it was Jesus, come on. What, what Abraham Lincoln, what, is he, what did he do when he described the Civil War? He's used this verse right here, and he's, he's recognizing the brilliance of Jesus. He's saying, how, how can there be internal strife and a kingdom continue to stand? Here's what, you need to hear this. Here's what Jesus is saying. Don't ignore it. The demonic is a formidable force. And so then Jesus describes, well, okay, yes, it is a formidable force, but let me tell you who is coming against this formidable force. And in verse 20, he says, but if I drive out the demons by, and this interesting phrase, the finger of God. Now, you would need to know that this is a quote that everybody, when they heard him say that, would have gone, oh, you're referring to the creative power of God. You could go to Psalm 8, where the psalmist talks about how, uh, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the creation is, is it's, God's so powerful that in his finger he could create all of creation. Or you would also know then that this is when Moses is on the mountain with God and he gets the Ten Commandments from God in Exodus chapter 31 and, and the, he gets the tablets of it inscribed by the finger of God. God gives 
the law, the order about how things are supposed to work. And then you'd also know, and everybody in that day would have known what Jesus was referring to when he talked about the finger of God. He's referencing Exodus chapter 8 when Moses is, is trying to free the people of Israel and there's the 10 plagues. And if you know that story, if you've seen the Prince of Egypt and, and Steve Martin and Martin Short are the two magicians. Do you know what I'm talking about? You didn't know Steve Martin and Martin Short were in the Bible, but they were. And the prince of Egypt, and they do these, all these things, and the magicians repeat it, but they get to this, the plague of the gnats, and they can't. And you know what Steve Martin and Martin Short say at that moment? They say, we cannot. This is the finger of God. What, so Jesus is saying, Look, listen, I'll tell you what the finger of God does. The finger of God creates. The finger of God brings order. The finger of God frees people who are oppressed. So here's, here's what Jesus is saying. He's making a declaration. This man... This person, this son, I created him. I'm bringing order to him. He is free. And so you don't make any mistakes about uh, the, the nature and the immensity of my power. I drive it out with my pinky. That's in essence what Jesus is saying. So let me ask you another pastoral question. In your fight against the things that fight you. you. You know, in that moment when you're like, I don't know what to do right now. And you're not able to change your life. Have you been able by the effort of your finger to change your life in that moment? When, when I had that experience with the guy who came in, and, and I think I described it when I talked about it in the spring, very long story. When it was done, the only phrase that could come to my mind, my mind was the experience that Jesus had with the demoniacs. If you know this in the gospel, there's this famous scene where Jesus goes across the Sea of Galilee and there's a, there's a, a tombstones there and there's a man who they'd chained because he was, he was losing his mind and they couldn't do anything with him and Jesus casts the demon out into the pigs. Do you know this story? And there's this phrase that says, and, and the townspeople came and they were surprised because there was, the, there was the man clothed and in his right mind. I, I, that when that all experience happened at the end of it, there he was, that man, this, this man who was suffering, and I was watching him suffer, being afflicted by a demon, clothed and in his right mind. It's the only way I could even describe it. I was like, what? That's, that's what's happening. So don't miss how he describes evil right here. He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. Let's make sure we understand what Jesus is saying. Who's the strong man? It's not a trick question. Satan, demons. What's armed mean? He's armed with what? Well, you'd have to go to the cross when Jesus is attacked. And on the cross, the way Jesus gets on the cross is via lies and manipulation and injustice. And when it doesn't go their way, finally, violence. Because at, that, at Jesus' crucifixion, the religious and political leaders were acting as agents of evil. They were expressing how Satan goes about tricking and his armory, if you will. Let, let me give you an example. So have you ever had, have you ever had a struggle? Maybe, uh, maybe it's an addiction or it's just something you wish you could beat, but you are not able to. Now, if, if we were all honest in this room and I were to ask for a show of hands, I would think every hand would go, yeah. And you fight that thing, and, and you get 
around that thing, this kind of cover of shame, and you just feel terrible for it. Like, you can't beat it. And maybe you even have messages in your head that say, like, well, good people always beat bad, and because you can't beat it, that must mean that you are bad. And so the shame just gets worse. And every time you struggle with it, you're like, oh, why do I do that? And, and what, what happens is that's, that's a cloud over your mind to be able to see what's actually going on. And you can't see that what you're actually trying to do is meet a real need in a legitimate way. And if the cloud could be removed, then you would see and, and you would, it'd be easier for you to stop, but you can't. So what, what's happening right here? I want to suggest to you on the authority of God's word that what's happening in that moment is you are being manipulated and lied to by evil. That's the, that's the armory of Satan. It's, that's his weaponry. And then possessions. What what's he says as a strong man is possessions. Jesus is saying, listen, what Satan, the demons, what they do is they, they, they love to own people and situations. Satan's prize is people. And he wants to have you. Now, I, I got I to warn, they got to give you a warning here. I, just, I, was, I was wrestling through this and I was like, I, I got to say the warning here. Without a stronger man, you are open to the strong man. You know the Jack and the Beanstalk, when he climbs up the Beanstalk and there's the giant, and the giant says, fee fi fo fum I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he alive or be he dead, I'm going to grind his bones to make my bread. You need to kind of insert the devil into that story when you're reading, be like, that's what Satan is trying to, that's the strong man. And so when you, when you flagrant, flagrantly say, I... I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do what I want. What you are doing, in effect, is you're lighting the lights on the runway at night for your life. And you know how at night, if you've seen the runway, the lights do this moving thing? You know, they light up in succession, so it's like the plane. You're doing that. You're like, I'm right here. I'm right. Hey, evil, I'm right here. Come on, here I am. It's like, you know when you can't find your phone? For those of you who have an iPhone, I don't know if you can do this on an Android because Androids are from the devil. Um, <laughs> But you know, on an iPhone, how you, you can't find it. Oh, there's someone beeping it right now. And you, you have this little thing that's called Find My iPhone, and you hit it, and then you, you, you search all over the house for where you laid it down, and it's like right next to you. Do you, anyone else have that experience? That's what you're doing when you flagrantly sin. You're like, Find me. Beep, 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 beep. I'm right here. I, why am I telling you this? I'm saying this to warn you. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to warn you. And the result is that people are muted. Lives are muted. Futures are muted. Hopes are muted. Purpose is muted. And Jesus, the exorcist, comes to free people from that. He's trying to say, you can experience my ministry of release today if you're in that condition. Now, what's the invitation and the challenge? And then we're going to pray together. I want to invite you, if you want to have someone pray for you, they will. The invitation, Jesus goes on, he says, okay, but when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. This is an invitation from Jesus. What's, who's the someone stronger? Jesus, right? Jesus is saying, receive my ministry of release. And, and he takes away the armor. Again, where do we find what the armor would take, he takes away? You have to go back to the cross. I, I love how the apostle Paul writes about this in Colossians chapter 2. We have it on the screen for you. He says that when you were dead in your sins and in this uncircumcision of your flesh, which is a Jewish image, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away doing what? 
nailing it to the cross and having, what does he say? What's the cross do? Having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them. Doing what? Triumphing over them by the cross. The cross is how Jesus disarms the devil. He he submits to the lies and the manipulation and the injustice and the violence, the, the, the tricks, the armory of the devil, and he beats it and he triumphs over it, and then he shares it with you and says, you can have that freedom too in your life. I, uh, another reference I never thought I would say is, uh, is the song by the artist Carmen from back in the day. Some of you will know this. The Champion, do you know that? Now, if you think it's going to play on the loudspeakers, you would be wrong because I would not do that to you, but if you know that song... But it's, it's, he's basically recounts this. You can Google it. I'm sure it's on the Googles, and you can find it and listen to it, the champion. But, but it's, it's this thing, and it just builds. And at the very end, he's like, it's a little bit of that. He's trying to say that Jesus wins over any power that has you, you think, beaten. Always wins. And the invitation to you today, not tomorrow or Wednesday, today is to share in his victory. That's, that's the invitation. And then what's the challenge, though? Because Jesus goes on and he says, well, now listen, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather scatters. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, this is a battle. This is contested ground. You know how Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are what? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. William Barclay, one of the commentators, so he says, he says, the one who stands away from the good cause automatically helps the evil one. You're either on the way or in the way. So this is a challenge. We're invited to share in the victory of Jesus on the cross, but then we're challenged to go out and be representatives and do the same in the world. And we don't fight people, we fight the powers. And so my challenge to you today is I want to know if you will sign up for the fight. The cross means, listen, you cannot be had by the devil. If Jesus has you, the devil doesn't. Do you understand that? You don't have to walk out of here afraid, oh no, the devil's going to get me. No, uh uh-uh. You receive all of the benefits of Jesus' death on the cross, forgiveness and freedom and release from the powers. You have been rescued, but here's, here's the challenge. You were rescued in order to rescue. There's a, there's a purpose to your life. There are people around you and they're fighting a battle and they don't know what to do. They lay their head on the pillow at night and they go, I don't know if there's any meaning or purpose in life. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what this is about. They're wrestling with depression. They're wrestling with anxiety. They've got crippling things happening to their body and to their mind and they don't know what to do. And you and I, we're representatives of Jesus. If you go back a couple chapters in the Gospel of Luke, you know that what Jesus did when he sent out the disciples, he sent them out to announce the kingdom of God and to heal every sickness and disease and to cast out demons. Now, I'm not trying to tell you to be a crazy charismatic. I'm not trying to say that. (laughs) But I'm saying when you come up against the powers, you know because you're a representative of Jesus, I'm here to help bring freedom to this person. 
man, I, you have not had the experience of helping someone be free from that. I, I'm not wishing that on you, but I wish you could see it so you would know. And you'd see that God would work through you and rescue people through you. And I just want to know if today, if you are willing to join Jesus in his ministry of release, releasing people, restoring them. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. See if I can get Larry and Brittany and Dave and Cindy to come down. I didn't ask them, so I'm imposing on them, but I'm going to pray for you, and if you would like someone to pray for you, and you say, you know what, I am up against things I don't understand, and I need release. I need, I need to be freed from this. I want you to come and let one of these people pray for you. Now, you have to decide you, you want to be free, but they'll pray for you. And you can walk out today free. Not under the cover of shame, but under the cover of freedom and grace. You can walk out free today. You may say, um, I need to commit. My life, my life has to have a greater purpose, or I'm going to renew my understanding of a greater... I am commissioned to be part of Jesus' ministry of release. And if that's you, I would love for you to come down, kneel, and just give God your commitment right here at these benches, these altars. Because, frankly, that's why God sent this church to this city. Do you understand? That's why he sends any church to the city. It's not just so we can come in and have a sanctuary and feel good and not worry about the forces in the world. I mean, there's definitely peace we want people to experience here. This is what I love about our church is our church is a place where people can come and change their life. <laughs> we're not just here for us. You understand? We're, we're, we come here and, and we, we take in God's presence and then we take that presence with us. And we're commissioned. So I want you to be commissioned today. So I'm going to pray for you, and, and then Sean will play, and I'll dismiss you, and then you can come forward, pray, kneel, whatever you need to do as you're listening to the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, I think it makes us uncomfortable to think about you as an exorcist. We read these words on the pages of the Gospels and we nod and we smile. We don't fully understand. Lord, bring home to our hearts that you came to set us free. You came to disarm the powers and authorities. You came, in the words of John, to destroy the devil and all his works. And so, Lord, I pray I pray against the devil and his works in the lives of the people in this room and listening online. The person in an addiction, the person with a chronic illness that they cannot figure out, the person who's depressed and has been depressed for so long they don't, they don't know. Lord, thank you that you heal through all kinds of methods, but right now, I ask that supernaturally you would set people free today. And then, Lord, for those of us, that, again, we, we want to commit 
to be people who are about your ministry of release. Lord, we look forward to the stories we're going to hear in the baptismal pool in the months and the years to come of how you've set people free, you've delivered them, you've made them new, you've wiped away what was written against them, you no longer hold it against them, there's no condemnation for them. We look forward to that. But today, we commit to being a part of that. And so through us, do your work here in the city of Wichita. We commit to it together today. We're not going to walk out of here uncommitted. We're going to walk, we're going to walk away committed. So we do this together now. Pray this in your name. All God's people said.